Welcome back to the Wedding Wisdom Podcast with Doug Winters. It is now Tuesday, December 22nd, and this is episode 85. And my guest is Steve Frost, who is the owner of Stamford Tent in Stamford, Connecticut, and Hop Hog, Long Island. Tents are one of the few things that I literally know nothing about in terms of its position in the hierarchy of this wedding business that we're all in or event business because they do tents for many of the galas that I've played at. So sit back and relax and learn with me. I'm assuming that most people won't know what he has to say as much as I didn't know. If you do, I apologize, but if you didn't, now's your chance to learn. And I think this is a must listen for anyone who is even thinking about having a wedding at home. Without further ado, here is my conversation with the fabulous Steve Frost. So, can you see me? I can see you, I can hear you. Amazing, we finally got it together. I know, this is so exciting. In the beginning, I used to tell every guest, as a band leader, I only see weddings from the bandstand, which is still true. Tents are one of those things that I think a lot of people take for granted, including me. You and I must have worked together probably hundreds of times. Yep. You've been in business for... 1952. Wow. Long time. Okay, that is a long time. It was a family business, I'm assuming? Yep. Unfortunately, my dad passed away pretty early on. I was like 18 and I had worked, uh, you know, summers and weekends and found that the the one thing I didn't want to do the rest of my life was put tents up. (laughs) And so... I, I quit and I went down to Florida and I was doing construction. I was building houses. I was 18 and tilting at windmills, as I say. That was, that was my, sure. my Don Quixote period. But I found that roofing houses in Florida in the summer is not exactly the, the best kind of work. This was after my dad had passed and my mom was actually trying to sell the business. All right. Now, what was the business? At the time, it was a general rental store. Which had party rentals and also Stanford Tent, which is sort of a separate sideline. And none of them were very big at that time. And my mom tried to sell a business and nobody was buying. And so she was going to close the doors. And so I said to her, Well, look, why don't you give me an opportunity? I don't like this roofing houses in the summer in Florida. So I moved up. This would have been in about 1972 or three. And I think it was 20 years old. And she said, okay, well, you know, look, let's try it for a year. And if it doesn't happen, we'll close the doors next year. And um, the rest is kind of history. Okay. So you, wow, that's terrific. I found that I really enjoyed being an entrepreneur. You know, before when I was an employee for either my dad or the construction company, I couldn't wait to get out of work. I was purely a 40 hour guy, watch the clock, 501, I'm out of here. And um, once I started owning the business, I became... I just found the inner entrepreneur and, and uh, really loved what I did. And um, like I said, we started out, we had five employees and two trucks. And prior to the pandemic, we had a little over 200 employees and about 60 trucks. 60 trucks. Yeah. So you inherited it from your mom. Right. Took it over and pretty much immediately saw success. I mean, how did you? Well, no. I mean, what, so when I came on board after about a year, or two realized that the tool rental business didn't really match coexist with the party intent very well. And so we sold that part of the company 
and just did parties and tents. And that, that all of a sudden it started to, to grow a little bit because now we were very focused on what we were doing. We kept the parties and tents together for quite a while till almost 07, I think. In the beginning, you know, when I was trying to grow, I think I, I made the mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs, business people make. And that is, if you want business, you got to be the cheapest. So we tried doing that and it didn't work. It was very frustrating. And I, I was not happy doing that at all. So we decided, and this is probably in the late 70s, that we weren't going to try to be the biggest tent company. We were going to try and focus on quality. And we were only going to do a certain number of jobs. And we were going to charge the right amount of money and really be a, a better value rather than a cheaper company. And that's when we started to grow. Uh, we really started to grow exponentially when we focused on quality and not on size. Well, that's great. Listen, and and as we all know, especially in this business, it's not like you can advertise. Right. It's word of mouth. All word of mouth. It's all word of mouth. Right. right. People were having tent weddings in the 70s and early 80s and, and 90s. In other words, I'm trying to kind of get a timeline of this business. Well, yes, we always did social business. And there have always been society weddings. In the 70s, a big thing was these debutante balls and coming out parties. We used to do a lot of those. Those were very high-end social. That was back before they did a lot of galas. The big fundraisers weren't taking place in tents. You did these debutante balls. And now, I can't remember the last time I did a debutante ball. I just pictured like the Kennedys in Hyannisport, this gigantic lawn, you know? Yeah, well, that it was that. It was the wealthy people in Greenwich and, and Fairfield and even in Long Island. Well, I noticed that you have two offices, one in Hophog and one in Stanford. That's correct. So you're sort of on both Gold Coasts. Well, again, in our business, the key is service. We do so much work in the Hamptons and in the North Shore of Long Island, even the South Shore for that matter. Um, and the Long Island office is able to service those much faster, much better than we can from Connecticut. And the project manager may be out of the Connecticut office, but will service the job out of the Long Island office. Right. Okay. They have direct access to the client. They don't have to worry somebody coming from Stanford out to the Hamptons. Yep. I have done tent weddings in the city, believe it or not. So yeah, we do a lot of work in the city, uh, amazing amount of work in Manhattan. You wouldn't think about it, but really Bryant Park Grill, those tents that are there now are our tents that we designed for them that go around the trees. Here's, here's the interesting thing. Take as, as a totally as a compliment. I, even as of right now, couldn't name you another tent company. That's a good thing. Yeah. So I, I literally would not know the name of any of your competitors. And, and I won't tell you them. <laughs> Nor do I care. <laughs> yeah. We, we want people to think that way. We, we've worked really hard to develop our reputation and the word of mouth. You know, again, most of my business is referral. Uh, it comes from the planners, the caterers, you know, that kind of thing. As you know, that they're really the drivers in this business and they're the yeah. ones we cater to. We do very few direct to retail customers. We're more of a B2B, you know, when I, when I bring in a consultant for marketing or whatever, and they ask us about it, we are a B2B company. We're in the background. So when the event planner goes and sees the client for a wedding, they'll get the tent, they call us. They don't need to tell the client who it is. They do inevitably because they're the ones paying the bill, but we want to make the event planner look good. That's what we do best. Right, because that way they'll send you more work. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. so a planner will bring you on 
do you have a meeting like in the planner's office or do they just hand it off to you? We did a uh, site visit last Thursday with a planner and we met at the site. And so we went out and we took a bunch of pictures, a bunch of measurements. They told us roughly how many people it's for next year, next September. So it's going to be 250 people. They're hoping that, that they're going to be allowed to do that. But I, I think by next September, things will have eased up. And so we went and, and measured for the tents based on 250 people, how much square footage they need. And then we've, we're now back, you know, in our offices and we're working with the planner. Okay, wait a minute. Wait, can we just start from the yeah. beginning for one second? You'll get a call from a planner. Yep. And says, Yeah, are you available September 15th or whatever? The first thing you want to do is a site visit, of course, right? Yes. So you meet the planner or you go by yourself. Right. As if you are like an architect making a survey of the land and like someone building an extension on their home. Well, there is a lot of design involved. I mean, the first thing that we did, because actually the bride met us at her parents' house with the planner. And one of the first things I said was, tell me what you have in your mind when you're dreaming about getting married, tell me what it is that you envision. And then we try to make that happen. And sometimes what they envision is very grandiose and we're happy to try and do that. And we'll advise them that, okay, that is the single most expensive way to do this. There is another way to do it if that's what you'd like. I mean, they take our advice, obviously, but we want to make their vision come true. That's what we want to do. Your website actually, by the way, is beautiful. Thank you. It's, it's kind of unassuming in the beginning. And then when you start digging in, there's a video carousel, you know, it says gallery and usually those are just mm -hmm. pictures, but your right. gallery actually shows the different style of tents. I wrote down the names because I had no idea that all this stuff existed. An anchor span tent, century tent, clear yep. tent, frame, Navitrack. Navitrack, yeah, Navitrack. And a spinnaker sailcloth. Yep. So those are the hot new tents. Those have become really popular in the last five years, the sailcloth tents. That's what the brides want. For a while, it was the clear span, meaning that the big structures that we do without any poles. And those are still very popular. But the sailcloth tent is, is a beautiful tent. Actually needs less decoration because the tent itself has these soft flowing lines. There's no internal hardware other than the internal, the center poles, of course. Yeah. But it's a, it's a beautiful tent. I mean, my daughter got married and that's what we use. We use the sailcloth tent. Which one? The sailcloth, the spinnaker. Oh, okay. Yeah. It started out as a sailcloth, but typically sailcloth, people think of sailcloth and it's a canvas tent. The problem with canvas tents and the industry basically evolved beyond canvas tenting decades ago. All right. So canvas tents is what you used to see, like Barnum and Bailey. Circus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. The yellow and white stripe, the gaily striped tents. Okay. The way those are manufactured and assembled, those are stitch seamed together. So you're sewing the tent together and that's the way it, for centuries, that's how you built tents. The problem with that is when you stitch something, you're putting little holes all in the fabric. And as a result, you'd have little seepage, we called it. It was a euphemism for leaking um, <laughs> at all of these poles. But then the industry moved on into more of a, a vinyl fabric, which can be heat sealed, welded together. And now they've gotten it to the point where you can do a translucent tent that is heat sealed. And they're beautiful, beautiful. So tent. you could just see through it as if it were glass. Well, no, no, those are clear. Translucent means it's still white, but it's it oh, translucent, like like saran wrap. Yep, yep. 
Okay. So it'll let light through, although you don't really see through it like a clear tent. If you want a clear tent, though, they have to be a frame style tent because the amount of tension put on the fabric, the clear won't sustain that. So you've got to go with a frame tent where it fits into tracks and slides over the frame. And again, they're beautiful as well. So again, when we ask the, the bride what she has envisioned for her dream wedding, depending on what she answers, we'll steer her either towards a sailcloth or a clear top or a frame tent, depending on what they want to do. Right. Do you build tent-like structures at either outdoor restaurants or, mm -hmm. and they stay up for the season, then you tear them down, then you build them up in the summer again, you take them down for the winter, or how does that work? Well, prior to 2020, 95% of my business was these high-end social functions, weddings, mitzvahs. So it's up and down. Yeah, it's up and down for a one-day use, essentially. Now, some of them, we did a wedding last October, not this October, but in 2019. We did a wedding one day, it was in October, and we started building it prior to Labor Day. And it took us about five weeks to construct all of the flooring, the multi-level flooring, the various, the ceremony tent, the cocktail tent, the dinner tent, the service tent, the bathroom tents, everything had to be floored and carpeted and climate controlled with HVAC. So we really have become a construction company utilizing temporary structures. So we may be on a job, that job, which was a wedding, it was one day, we were on for about six weeks on that project. See, now that's something I... A lot of our jobs are like that. Now that's why we don't do as many jobs as we used to, but that's a good thing. I mean, we're, we're focusing on these really elaborate, detail-oriented jobs. I know when I go to a site thing, the first thing I check out is how I'm going to get in, right? how the drummer's going to get set up. Are there stairs? Are there elevators? Are there, is there a lawn? Where do you park? How far do you have to carry your stuff? Can you drive your stuff in and then bring the car back out? You were telling me about this party that you had done and someone had done their lawn absolutely perfectly and you realized that all your guys would have to be pushing 80-pound dollies and kind of hacking up the, right. the the lawns how do you avoid that you know what are the pitfalls what do you look for when you do that well so we actually back into that so the first thing we do is try to determine what again what is what do we want to provide what does the client want you outline that then you back into that to determine the cost okay how do we get there in a number of jobs we have to actually put in temporary roadways so we can get the trucks in. We've actually bought a specific kind of forklift that can work on lawns without damaging it so we can carry the equipment 100 yards into the back lawn. Most of our jobs now have floors, subfloors. So we're actually constructing the subfloor. We're putting the ducting for the heat and air underneath it. What is the subfloor? Uh, well, basically, it's it's built out of, of scaffolding and lumber, and you build it to the size of the tent. So a 50 by 100 tent, let's say, mm -hmm. would take a 52 by 102 subfloor, and we build that, and that has to meet the building code. That has to be as if it was up permanently. It's literally like you're putting a foundation down yep. before you put the house on it. Yep, and then you put the tent on top of that. You put railings, you put steps and landings and ramps to get the equipment in. Sometimes in the early days, we forgot about the ramp. So guys like you would show up and go, how am I getting my equipment up there? I said, well, there's a flight of stairs there. You'd have to carry them up the flight of stairs. So yeah. we have to put in a temporary load-in ramp 
And in some of these jobs, the bigger jobs, you know, we put in temporary loading docks so you can back the truck up to the loading dock, offload it, and then load it into the tent across the ramp. Which is the best. For you, yes. Yeah, Not exactly. necessarily the best for the client's budget. Exactly. The clients were happier when we just let you schlep everything upstairs. Yeah, exactly. So you have to justify, not justify, but my business is a lot more cut and dry. It's the size of the band. It costs X per musician. But there are so many factors in pricing your product. Well, every single job we do, every project we enter, we do a cost analysis. We have to know how many guys, how many trucks, how many days, how many man hours this is going to take, you know, what's our out-of-pocket, because a lot of these, like, for example, we build a floor. To build a rectangular floor is one thing, but we have to build a a round floor to take a round tent, and it takes more time, so that takes more cost. So the subfloor is actually literally the foundation of everything. Well, and and the subfloor, as many of our customers find out, is more expensive than the tent. The tent itself is not overly expensive. If I can go out and just go to your backyard and put up a tent with nothing but the tent, it's a price. We know what it's going to be. It's four guys for two hours or whatever it may be. But when you get into, again, we don't do a lot of those just a simple backyard barbecue tent. We do more elaborate projects. And all of those, like I said, we put in temporary roadways on many of our jobs, not just some of them, on on many of them. Now, when you see temporary roadways, I, I spoke to this planner in Telluride, Colorado, who did a party for Ralph Lauren's son, and they, she said it was 11 miles off the road. And they had to literally build a road so that yep. all the trucks can go through. Is, is that what you're talking about? Yes. And in some cases, you, you have to bring in literally dump trucks of gravel and roadbed material and create this road. On a large job, you'll have 40, 50, 60 truckloads of equipment coming in, wow. you know, between the tents, the floors, the party rental equipment, the cooking equipment, the band equipment, all of those things that add up. I mean, each of them, I mean, take a truck or a car with stuff in it. And so if you get there the day of the party and we've been there for three weeks, that backyard can be pretty destroyed by trucks. So we put down a temporary road. Oftentimes it's as simple as just road ply for you to drive on. And then we can take that out at the end of the day. And there's very little damage, just some wear and tear. But if we don't do that, you go and let's say you're loading in, you know, yesterday when it was pouring rain, then that's going to destroy the lawn. So we've got to protect the lawn. So we put down the temporary road. So when you put down a temporary road, you literally mean a temporary road. Well, so before the first truck goes in, we build the road. Then we bring all the trucks in, assemble everything, do what we've got to reverse it on the way out. And as the last truck leaves, picks up the, the temporary road. Now, what defines whether or not you need a temporary road? Like the width of... No, the amount of where, whether we're putting this on a finished lawn or we're putting getting in access into a field that's not a, a finished lawn and how large a project is and how many truckloads of equipment and whether you have these rough all-terrain forklifts for delivering HVAC equipment. So there's a lot of things that... Now, we don't build temporary roads on all our jobs, but we do build them on a fairly good portion of them. Um what is an HVAC? I know it has something to do with either air conditioning or heating. Well, both. HVAC means heating, ventilating, air conditioning. There you go. So that's HVAC. It's literally heating. Ventilation, air conditioning. Oh, literally. Yeah. It's one unit does all those things. What does it look like? Like a furnace? Uh, yeah. I mean, they're the, the bigger ones, the 30-ton units are uh, 
basically four foot wide by six foot high by eight foot long. And sometimes you might need a number of them. So you might spend several hours or a very good part of a day just bringing the HVACs. Or several days. Okay. Well, because you have to bring them in, which I mean, they're, these are huge units that come on tractor trailers. They've got to be offloaded, forklifted into place. Then they have to be hooked up. Then you have to do the ducting. You have to cut in the registers into the floor. You have to run the ducts under the floor, hook them up. Um, but again, these are on the, the larger projects that we specialize in. Not everybody does that. A lot of times you just get a tent and they put a propane heater outside it and they duct in. You know, Then you're right, it's a couple hours. I actually spoke to a guy today who called about a tent and just said, you know, this is going to be this one, you know, I'm going to save money. My daughter's getting married in a tent. It's going to be cheaper from, than going to a hotel. And I stopped him. I said, absolutely not. It's going to be far more expensive than going to a hotel because you've got to create everything. You've got to build the floor. You've got to put up the structure. You've got to heat it. You've got to decorate it. You've got to bring in the furniture. You know, you've got to start everything from scratch. Now, you know, not to discourage people from doing this. So, but it's not, it's not an economical solution. It's not it a is, cost saver. No, it's more beautiful. It, it's, you're doing it at home. You're putting a personal touch on it. If you tell me you want a long, narrow ballroom, or you want a square ballroom or a round one, we can do all those things. Whereas when you go to the plaza, you get what you get. This it is, is with, the same yeah. exact wedding that we went to last Saturday at the plaza. Not the right. Plaza. They're very, right, right, very right. Nice any people. any any yeah. any structure can't be, you know. Any venue is the same venue week after week after week. Whereas when you do it at home, you can do a clear top. You can see the stars dance under the stars. You can have a round ceremony tent, so you can do ceremony in the round. There's all kinds of flexibility. But you have to deal with people who say, "Well, I'm having it at the end of September. I don't really need heat." Or I don't really need air conditioning. We deal with that every day. <laughs> every day. In the heat of the summer, when you're seeing clients for October and November, they're like, well, I, I don't know if we're going to need heat or not. And we tell them, yes, you will. But usually we can sort of back into that part of it. And it's the same thing when you're planning a wedding now for next summer and it's cold outside. You're like, well, I don't need air conditioning. So when it's cold out, people don't think of air conditioning. And when it's hot out, people don't think about Heat. Heating, right. But you need to think about both because you want your guests to be comfortable. For my daughter's wedding, we had the tent air conditioned and we brought in our air conditioning vendor and we set all that up. And then it was a temperate day. So we were able to take the sides off. People danced and it was outdoors and it was just absolutely beautiful. But we had the air conditioning there if we needed. Right. When we talk to people initially, and we're very honest about it, and if they're only having like 70 or 80 people, something like that, and they really rather not do a tent. And so we just say to them, look, if it rains, are you able to do that many in your house? And a lot of them will say, yeah, absolutely. Then why do you want a tent? Because you could be outdoors on a nice day without a tent. You could be indoors on a rainy day without a tent. So you don't need to spend the money on a tent. You can put it to something, the music, yeah. of course. But if, you, but if you're having 80 or 100 people and they can't fit in your house, well then, okay, what are you going to do if it rains? Well, we'll get a tent, you know, we'll call you on Saturday. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. We've got to get permits. It's got to get set up first. Then you set the tables and chairs up. It, it, do, it doesn't, you can't just call Saturday morning and get a tent. Although on Saturday mornings in the rain, my phone just rings off the hook with people who thought they could. Really? Oh, yeah. Starting on Thursday, when rain is forecast for Saturday, 
uh, our phone starts ringing like crazy. As a matter of fact, we did a job, the wedding of a, a well-known weather guy. I, I want to say he was on Channel 5. I, I said to him, I'll tell you what, if on Thursday you go on the news, you go on the weather, and you say there's a 70% <laughs> chance of rain for this weekend, and you do that every Thursday, I'll do your tents for free. Because I know that when they do that, when they say 70% chance of rain, my phone starts ringing off the hook. That's hysterical. Yeah. He laughed too, but he didn't do that. So what we will do is say, put the ceremony tent on standby. I get it. You don't want to have tents all over your yard. And I, I don't blame you. We didn't do a ceremony tent for my daughter. It was on standby. So then you give it, you let us, we've reserved the tent. We've already planned for it. We've drawn it in. We know what size it is. We know where it's going to go. And we've reserved the equipment and the manpower. And you then tell us, okay, it's Thursday morning. It looks like it's going to rain or it's Wednesday afternoon. The forecast is for rain. Yes, I want to do it. Then we can come in Thursday and do that because you've already planned for it. But if it's just a, a cold call on a, a Thursday afternoon, uh, maybe we're not going to be available, especially in the May, June, September, October. We're not going to be able to take care of that. Right. The busy season. Right. Uh, when I was talking to Brian Raffinelli, he was talking yep. about he did this party for John Henry the owner of the Red Sox. Yep. They did it inside Fenway Park. He said they, they built a glass tent. Yep. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is a glass tent? Do you do dick glass tents? Oh, yeah. Oh, you do? Yeah. Matter of fact, the, a lot of the equipment that went for that wedding, uh, I know the guy that, that Brian works with in Boston. He has different work. We do it in New York. Somebody else does it in Boston. And he had subrented the glass from us to supplement. Oh, so you know that. You know that. Oh, person. yeah. I know him all. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So we do quite a few glass tents. Now the top fabric of the tent is in glass because it's got to be able to slide up and over, but the walls are glass, just like glass in your house. They're tempered glass. Oh, so it's not glass like bang on a, on a... no, the walls are, you yeah, know, no, the walls are, are glass, glass, rigid glass, tempered glass walls. The top is, the top is clear, but you wouldn't really know that. I mean, so a lot of people, when they go into a clear tent with glass walls, they go, well, we were in a glass tent. And we tell them, well, it's, you know, the, the walls are glass. The top of no, no, it was glass. No, it wasn't. But okay, you think so. Yeah, I know. That's, that's like when people tell me, oh, we danced all night. This was amazing. We never sat down. I mean, you didn't have dinner. You didn't sit down when your father was making a toast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, you know, that's the best kind of compliment. Right. Because you want to be seamless. You want to be in the background. You do in your end yeah. of it, and I do in my end of it. I don't even want you to know you were. When it, when you called Stanford Tent and Event Services, right. was it always Stanford Tent? Does the event services mean anything else, or it just means that you take care of every single thing that they might? We did Stanford Tent and Event Services because we provide so much more than just the tent. Again, the, the tent is almost the, the least of what we do, um, but it's it's the tent, it's the flooring, it's the H, the air conditioning and heating, um, it's the service tents, it's the lighting, um, it's the, the generator power to power everything. Permits, we get all the permits for you. You don't have to do that. We take care of everything. What kind of permits do you need? The, the permits are, are really the bane of my existence. Every job you do, anything over 400 square feet, or if it has electrical or walls, has to be permitted. So that's virtually every tent we do, every job we do has to have a permit. And the inspectors need to see the construction, how you're going to build it, how it's being anchored. They need to see now they want certification for all the tents, that the tents are certified 
to handle a hundred mile an hour wind load. And that this structure meets all the fire requirements. It's fire retardant. So we have a full-time permit expediter on staff and her, her full-time job, 40 to 50 hours a week, nothing but getting permits. In New York City, a permit is 15 business days. So when you call and say, I've got a tent, I want a tent this weekend. So if you call me today, said, I want a tent on my terrace, on my penthouse in New York. We could do it, but we couldn't get a permit for it legally. Wow. Is it even harder in cities? Yes. The city has a lot of really stringent requirements. One of them being basically you have to have a certified architect to draw the plan, stamp the plan, certify that this meets all these codes. And then, you know, they, they do all the drawings and multiple pages of drawings, just like you're building a house. So you're literally building an addition to someone's house for one day. Yeah. The office is in Stanford, Connecticut. Well, the, the main office is, then we have the, right, right, right. the satellite um, So how big are these two offices? The Stanford office, and we actually are kind of bursting at the seams. So we're 78,000 square feet on five acres of property. And we have about 40 containers in addition to the 78,000 square feet. And then... How, how big is that? It's almost two acres. And then we have another uh, 10 or 11,000 square feet in Long Island. That is the satellite office. On both properties, there's a lot of outside storage, things that don't need to be immediately in the building. So we just put them in containers outside. And then, you know, as we need them, typically we'll keep in the warehouse itself stuff that actively moves all the time and stuff that only goes out once or twice a year. We'll keep in the containers. Like what would that be? Well, for example, like with uh, a one size 20 by 20 frame tent. We own at somewhere around 175 of those. And so we'll keep, say, 100 of them in the building because we don't normally have more than that out. But on a really busy weekend, we may have more. So then we'll go into the container and get the rest. Okay. So when you're talking to a client, which is more of a shock to them, the price or the load in time? Well, I would say the price is the initial shock. And then what's interesting is I've had a number of customers over the years as, you know, they've said, oh my God, that, that's so expensive. I, I don't know, you know, I, I can't afford that or whatever. And then after we do the job, the husband will usually pull me aside and say, how can you afford to do it for that? You know, it's like they, they can't understand it until they see it. And then they see we've been there a month and they're like, I get it now. You're actually building this from scratch. You know, I'm literally going to send you Raffinelli's podcast because he tells that exact story. Right. He says, literally, day after day after day, they see the workman coming in. Doesn't by the time of the day of, he says, "How is it possible that, that you were able to get this done in with this amount of money?" Yeah, <laughs> you know? they they often say that. I I've heard that dozens of times in my career. When you say I'm going to put down a temporary road, does that sound? incredibly intimidating to the person or until you explain it or well some people some people like no 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 i i I don't want you don't want to put down our temporary road i don't want that on my grass well okay but if we don't do that we're driving 50 truckloads of equipment across your lawn and that's going to do some real serious damage the temporary road is a much better way to do this you have to explain it i mean there's a lot of education in, in what we do 
again, most of my business is referral. So we'll get a referral from Raffinelli, let's say, for example, and, and right. he will have qualified the customer. So Brian will tell them, you know what, this is going to cost you X. So when we get involved, they're not surprised. So what's the downside of owning an incredibly successful company like yours? The downside. So it's the risk that you take. It's the weather-related risks. If it's pouring rain on Saturday and Sunday, you're going to have situations. You try and make those tents as watertight as possible, but because everything's custom and it's done temporary and has to come back apart again, somehow some water is going to find its way in. It's going to seep its way in. And the mother of the bride always says, oh my God, look at that. Well, really in the scheme of things, it's not much. But you, you yeah. try and make it as watertight as you can. So there's always going to be some, if it rains, it, it pours. You're not literally building a house. There's going to be some seepage somewhere. No, but we, I mean, look, most of our jobs, you don't see the water seeping in around the edge. We've sealed it up. And so you don't see it. But again, you're there the week before building this whole thing. And then you've got one day that it's for. And you want to make sure that they're as resistant to the weather as possible, that the people are not going to notice. And I've had clients tell me, look, it poured rain during the wedding and most, nobody knew. Nobody even knew other than the noise of the rain on the tent. They didn't know that that's what that was. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. That, then you know you've done your job well. Correct. The video on my website was a tent, which you very well might have made, at the Fairfield Country Club yeah. in Westport. Was on the beach? Yeah. Well, on the sound, on the sound. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. The, the woman said to me, I insisted on getting a new tent so that it would be crystal clear and you could see out. And it wasn't a glass tent, but it was. Right. Now, is that just what everybody thinks or do you just take really good care of your stuff and clean it? Well, so back in the day, everybody, I want a new tent. That's not the first time you've heard that. No, no. Um, but it's one of the reasons we put in a $125,000 custom washing machine in our facility. And so we wash the tents in between uses. We hang them up to dry them. And by the, so we fold it back up again. How big is it? Because my grandfather used to own a dry cleaning store. <laughs> I'm just trying to picture this. Uh, it's about, well, I can stand in it. Wow. It's probably five feet high and eight feet long, five foot diameter. Oh, okay. And what do you use? You put cascade in, you know, you know, tide. <laughs> no, there, there's some more industrial type soaps that we put in there. Uh, but again, because it all goes out into the system, the Stanford water system, it's all got to be biodegradable and, and good for the environment. And we do a lot of clear tents. So it's also got to be relatively spot free. So kind of like cascade, you know, it's kind of it, sort of like that. It's an industrial strength cascade, I guess. So are there different grades now, talking about minutiae here, but are there different grades of cleaning materials that someone might, a smaller company might cheap out on in order to only clean it every fourth time or something like that? Or Well, you've got to be a certain size and, and be able to afford the $125,000 washing machine, the cost of installing it and rigging it and, and that kind of thing. So we have actually uh, one, two, three, four, we have five different washing machines for different size tents up to the one that does the 60 by 60 and then down to the sidewall and stuff so that we do i we have a full-time fabric team a fabric manager who does nothing but take care of our fabric who grades it when it's done uh, so we know that this is you know party quality grade um or if it's not a uh, matter of fact i had a discussion this morning that in one of our cell club tent sizes 
there was only one left. And I'm like, how's that possible? We've bought like five of those. And he said, well, four of them were downgraded last year. So we need to buy more because they, we'd wash them a couple of times. So we now have to downgrade them. So they're not party quality. Now, so you downgrade them yourself or is there like some kind of universal standard? No, no, we do it ourselves. We have, when our foremen go to take the job down, they have to grade the fabric on site and they have a whole sheet that they have to fill out with the grade of the fabric. Is it clean? Is it dirty? Is it wet? Is it wet and dirty? Um, and then the fabric <laughs> manager gets the fabric when it gets offloaded off the truck, they bring that all over into the fabric section. And then he reads the report and says, okay, this is, and that's all on his computer. And he says, okay, so this tent has to get washed. This just has to get dried, but this has to get washed and dried. And then they'll inspect them when they hang them up on these huge from a 24 foot ceiling and they'll hang the section. Then he inspects it and says, yep, this is in good shape. It's got a minor pinhole I have to repair. Oh, I didn't think of that. And they can repair it. Well, depending on what it is. I mean, some tears we can repair ourselves. We do it in-house. The bigger tears we'll send back to the manufacturer and have them replace the section. So what keeps you up at night on a Saturday night, knowing that you have, let's say, 30 tents out? Really the weather. Watching the weather? Yeah. And it's not so much rain. It's wind. It's wind. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the rain. No, the rain, as you were saying, could be actually attractive. Yeah. I mean, it could be another artistic element that you see the droplets coming down. I think it looks great. Well, and if it's rain, I mean, look, you, you might have a customer that's uncomfortable. You've had rain, whatever. They're, they're, the ground is wet. They didn't build a floor. And now you've got water seeping in. They're not happy about their feet getting wet. But the tent doesn't stop that. Water's going to follow gravity no matter what you do. But wind can be dangerous. Wind can create problems. So that's why we keep guys at, we have uh, uh, maintenance attendants at just about every job we do to deal with those sorts of things. Wow. Okay. So there's someone on site like all the time when you first start building it, do you have to have like a security guy make sure that nobody comes and steals all this stuff or? No, it's not, it's not so much that, but I mean, so we're on site almost every day as we're building. Cause again, you only want the 10 out as, as for a limited amount of time for as much as it's necessary. So while some of our jobs take four five, six weeks to build and dismantle, many of them can be done, you know, the week of. So we'll come in on Tuesday, build the floor on Tuesday, put the tent up on Wednesday, do the finishes on Thursday. Now the decorator comes in on Friday. The rentals come in on Friday. On Saturday, they're setting up. You come in, do your thing. And on Sunday, it all reverses. So you've got all the, the rentals have to come out. The decor has to come out. The lighting has to come out. And then we take our stuff down. So generally, we're out Monday, Tuesday. So the tent's there for a week, of which we're there most of the time. But then the day of the event, there's anywhere from one to four men on site during the event that'll just make sure. So if, if the client says to the planner, like, I'm a little cold, the planner will get on our walkie talkie and tell my guy, hey, turn the heat up in the ceremony tent. Okay, they come over and they adjust the heat. Or, oh my God, it's getting really hot in here. So, okay, come, please take the sides off the dinner tent. The guys will come out and take the sides off the dinner tent. But we're really a, a support vendor, you know, supporting vendor for, the event through the event planner. They're the ones who, who run it all. Right. Do you have like arrangements with certain planners or is it everything? Well, there are some venues that do like country club, central park zoo. Uh, you talked to Bobby Severini a, a week or two ago. Yeah, yeah. 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 We do all the tents there. So we're the house tent company at central park zoo. And there's many venues that, that it's like that Brian park grill, but like a planner, 
like a Harry and Rose Katz. Well, we're the company that did all of Harriet's work. And so if you hired Harriet, she would take care of the tent and she would bring us in to do that. Okay. Then you interface directly with the client or not necessarily. Some planners, they want us completely background. So we almost never talk to the client. We talk to the planner and the planners to go between. That's a more difficult relationship for us only because that's subject to interpretation. So if we say how many people are you having, that's easy to do, but how do you want to do this? How do you want to do that? Then they have to go back and ask the client or they'll just make, oh, we'll do it this way. And then we find out, well, the client didn't really want to do it that way. That's the way the planner said to do it. So sometimes it's better to deal direct. I would rather just have the introduction. Let me handle the, yeah. you know, asking the questions and then we can get the information we need. Yeah, because you're the expert. No, for real. Right. But a lot of some planners don't want to bother their client. They just they want to be oh, okay. the point person. Yeah. And that's fine. Look, we get it. And most of these guys are, are very professional and they know most of the answers. They know most of the questions we're going to ask. Because they've done it. Because they've been through it before. Yeah, yeah. Steve Frost, thank you so much. This has been amazing. There you go. You're welcome very much. I enjoyed it. And people can follow you on Instagram. Uh, yeah, I don't post a lot on social media, yeah. but they can follow Stanford Tent on Instagram. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure being up. You're the best. I really appreciate it. All right. All right. Thanks, Doug. Keep Take in touch. Care. Bye. Bye-bye. Great guy, isn't he? Just truly down to earth, answering every question straight out. The fact that I didn't know all that much about what his specialty was, I, I think most people don't and hopefully I asked a lot of the questions that you would want me to ask of someone if you were thinking about having a wedding at home or gala event in a field somewhere thank you so much for listening please continue to support the channel by subscribing on either Apple podcast or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts at the wedding wisdom podcast with Doug Winters oh I was talking to my next guest Philip Van Nostrand and he happened to notice that we're coming up on our 100th episode. So I'd like to hear from you who you'd like to have on as guests or multiple guests. We're going to have a whole panel, which is kind of what I'm thinking about. If I sang, I would sing you Nat King Cole's Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. But I will save you and you will thank me. Trust me. Please continue to follow me on Instagram at Doug Winters Inc. And remember... This pandemic is not over. Stay safe. Keep wearing masks. Social distance. Listen to the doctors. Because I can't afford to lose any of you guys. Okay, I'll see you next week. Bye-bye now.